Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Folks, where is the hysteria? Where is the hysteria in the media? The White House is asking (laughs) the media, think about this, asking the media to provide the questions they plan to ask Jen Psaki, who will circle back to that. We'll circle back to Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki will circle back to whatever it is you, you've asked her. And um, where's this concern and fear? Where's these, this um, outrage by the media? Where is this? Because remember, Trump was waging a war on the First Amendment simply by criticizing the media and calling them fake news. Never occurred to the media to put their big boy and big girl pants on. I should say or. Big boy or big girl pants on and fight back and actually articulate why what they were doing was accurate and truthful and honest and sincere. Of course, they don't want to do that because that's only making this more comical for the rest of us to watch them try to describe some of the nonsense. Actually, most of the nonsense that they engage in each and every day. But there you go. Welcome, by the way, to the program. I am your host, Todd Huff. You can reach me by email. Thoughts, questions, opinions, concerns. If you want to say something funny, I take all those things, including your adoration and praise. Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Folks, if you want to listen to this program daily, as you should. By the way, science has proven that listening to this program can stop and even reverse those dangerous side effects of, of liberalism. So it's not it's it's a good inoculation against liberalism. Uh, we, you know we're talking about vaccines and so forth with with COVID. This will actually help vaccinate you against some of the uh, the threats of the uh, of another threat roaming the countryside, which is liberalism, communism, socialism. One way to do that is to download the podcast. It's totally free. Get it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcast, and then you can take us with you wherever you go each and every day. So I want to go back to this issue. Um, the White House asking it, – it's, it's just so crazy to me. It's not because it's totally predictable from these folks. White House – this is an article in Newsmax. White House slammed – actually, they put WH – WH, standing for White House, slammed for seeking briefing questions in advance. This is on news, uh, a Newsmax article. President Joe Biden's communication teams, uh, team has at times probed reporters to see what questions they plan on asking White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, prompting concerns among the press corps. Three sources with knowledge of the matter told the Daily Beast. I think the Daily Beast is the one that maybe broke this and the Newsmax is commenting on it. But this is where I found found this particular story. Leaders of a White House Correspondents Association Zoom call last Friday. So here we are. What are we, two weeks into this? 
Biden administration. We're two weeks into this. We've got 28 executive orders. By the way, that is four times as many that Trump had signed in this same period of time. And all executive orders are not equal. That's one of the things that I want to make sure that the average person understands. There is a legitimate use of executive orders. Executive orders is are not to be used to create policy or legislation um, that Congress did not enact. And it's even worse, I guess. They're both bad. It's bad to create policy or legislation from an executive order because – as you remember, for those of you that still went to school, uh, when they taught you how legislation was introduced and a bill became law, you know that that's passed not by the executive branch or the president, but rather by Congress. That's the way it's supposed to happen, but that's not the way it often happens. And so, and so Congress oftentimes either doesn't talk about it you know, legislation at all, and the president just writes it into an executive order. That's bad. What's even arguably worse, although I'm on the fence on this, if it's really and truthfully worse, is this notion that Congress does passes uh, or they they review legislation, they debate legislation. The legislation does not pass, as was the case with DACA. As was the case with DACA under uh, Obama, he wanted Congress to act on this issue. They did not. Then he wrote it into – well, it's not to law. He issued an executive order, which he said was temporary and all this sort of stuff. Now we, we act as though this has to be the uh, the only path forward is to extend you know, permanent citizenship to DACA recipients and so forth. But Congress did act. They said we don't want to pass DACA, and then the president signed it into law. Well, not into law, into executive order anyway. That's even arguably worse is when Congress says, you know, debates an issue and does not approve it, and then the president comes along and does it. There are legitimate issues or legitimate purposes for executive orders. An executive order is supposed to be supposed to be a directive by the president of the United States that issues a, I don't know, a series of steps or a path, a plan, so to speak, in the order to execute the law that Congress has passed. So there might be a law that Congress has passed. The president can sit down and say in order to fulfill the, you know, um, the the law passed by Congress. Here are the steps we are going to take pursuant to um, this particular bill or law. This is what we're going to do. That is much different than just simply writing these things up out of out of whole cloth, creating policy, creating legislation. And so the numbers the numbers indicate someone's uh, I guess affinity towards determining things this particular way. Again, at this point in his presidency, Trump had seven. Biden has 28 executive orders. Anyway, so um, so we've got that whole issue going on with Biden, but we've got here as well um, this issue with the press. So as you know, the press is very friendly to the left, to the Democrat Party. This is no secret. I don't even know why they 
think they can get away with this any longer. In fact, a lot of folks don't even care. A lot of folks, I think, are under the impression that journalism, there should be two sides to journalism, conservative side and and, and Democrat or liberal side. And that's not accurate either. A journalist should truly be able to remove himself or herself from the story, ask the questions that matter, present differing perspectives, and let the reader or the viewer make a decision, a determination as to what they think should happen, which side they agree with. Maybe they agree partially with both sides. But that's not what we get today. People have been treated to such biased news reporting that they believe that that's the way that that it is. If you want liberal reporting, you go to CNN. If you want conservative reporting, you go to Newsmax, OAN, and maybe at times Fox. That's what they think. But that's not the way that media is supposed to work. And it's definitely not supposed to work this way where a Zoom call takes place and the president's communication team says, hey – um, what, what do you guys plan on asking Jen Psaki today? What do you plan on asking her? <laughs> right? Going back to this article, it says this. This is a quote from someone who is a White, Horse, uh, White House correspondent. While it's a relief to see briefings return, the press can't really do its job in the briefing room if the White House is picking and choosing the questions they want. That's not really a free press at all. You don't say. So to my point and my question off the beginning, why is there not outrage in the media? When Trump looked at Jim Acosta and said, Jim, you're not fake news, you're very fake news, the media melted down. Who is this guy? He's issuing an assault on the First Amendment, which, by the way, is not accurate. He's challenging the things that the media is is saying, to which they could offer rebuttals and retorts and all sorts of things, but they don't. They cry First Amendment. Meanwhile, we currently have a president of the United States who's, according to reports, asking uh, his communica- communications team is asking for questions in advance so that they can give them to Jen Psaki. And so she doesn't give responses like this particular response. This is uh, this happened yesterday, White House briefing. Jen Psaki was asked about the Space Force. <laughs> Jen Psaki was asked about the, state, the, the Space Force. Now, keep in mind, you know, people th- – there is a legitimate um, – when you look at defending this great nation, there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about being able to protect ourselves from – uh, you know, from threats that that enter into outer space now because of satellites and technology and some of the things and reports that we've heard nations like China testing, uh, you know, and thinking of doing. Of course, you, you know that when someone fires an IC, if someone were to fire an ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile, those actually leave the Earth's atmosphere as well circles around and then re-enters the atmosphere heading towards its its target. This is one of the reasons why space technology was so important in the era of the Cold War was to, uh, I guess, to partially uh, test some of the technology and to prove ourselves and our ability to get something from planet Earth into, into space so that we could, if you know, in the, in the world of the Soviet Union and the Cold War back in those days, 
They knew that we had the technology and the capabilities of delivering an ICBM, which, of course, in those days would have carried a nuclear warhead. Um, but, but space is a legitimate uh, place that we have to think about defending ourselves. In fact, if we don't, it's candidly a little bit, a little bit naive, especially when, when I've read reports, you've read reports. What are the other things that are being uh, – that our intelligence teams – are finding that nations are looking at doing in space that could affect us. I mean, think about an uh, what is it? EP. Oh, the, the I'm drawing a blank on the letters, but the uh, electromagnetic pulse attack EMP. I think, right? If, if if a nuclear device or other device is detonated in at a certain altitude, I don't know if it's technically in space, but it could be. It could take out communications and the power grid and all sorts of things. EMP attacks are a threat. In fact, I just saw the other day that Russia poses a very legitimate threat in that regard to the United States and candidly um, to the to the rest of the world as well. But when Jen Psaki was asked about Space Force yesterday, she asked this whether is the it. president has made a decision on keeping, to her response. keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. How condescending. It's the plane of today. The um, plane of today. It is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. Isn't this Biden's decision anyway? The question was, if you missed that because I was yapping there, the question was, has the president made a decision on keeping or keep? Keeping the scope face force. That was the question. That's the question needs to be worked on a little bit. But basically, is the president keeping space force and what it was designed to do? Wow, space force. That's the plane of today. What the world? This is <laughs> the condescension, the the ignorance here. This is a legitimate. I understand people want to mock space force. Okay, I mean whatever. It's Free country, still, I think. But what kind of response is it? This is the president's spokesperson mocking something under the direct command of the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. So maybe it's a good thing that they get questions in advance so that Jen Psaki can have her reaction off camera so she doesn't say stupid stuff like this. Anyway, quick timeout is in order. Got plenty more to get to today, but I got to take a quick timeout. Sit tight. Be back here in just a minute. Welcome back. By the way, this program is brought to you in part by our friends at Raymond's Auto and Truck Repair. Raymond's is on the near west side. I think it's technically in Plainfield, but it's really uh, just right up against, very near the county line in in Marion County, the county that Indianapolis resides in, of course. So it's not far from, from downtown or from the Indianapolis area, west side down US 40. If you have damage uh, to, your, to your vehicle, I encourage you to check out our friends at Raymond's auto and truck repair you can find out more information by visiting their website 
RaymondsAutoAndTruckRepair.com. That's Raymond's with an S, AutoAndTruckRepair.com. So, you know, one of the reasons I want to kind of, I guess, move from our initial discussion about the press, about Jen Psaki mocking the Space Force, about the Biden communication team requesting the questions the media is going to ask Jen Psaki at these press briefings in advance. <laughs> it's just a remark. Can you imagine can you imagine the explosion that would have happened if Kaylee McEnany had done this or Sean Spicer or um, Sarah Sanders, Huckabee Sanders, who's apparently running for governor, I think. I saw that in the state of Arkansas. Can you imagine the explosion and the pushback from that? How dare they? This is an assault on the freedom. And, and rightfully so. To me, this is, much, this is much more of a problem if the media had done this. And who knows? Some of them may have. I'm not saying they did for the sake of clarity, but I wouldn't put it past them. I, didn't, I do not put it past these folks. And I, I say all this to say the reason we talk about the media on here so much is because it is a massive problem. It's a massive problem. It is incalculable how much damage they truly do to the free flow of information and the average or the understanding of the average person as to what's going on in Washington, D.C. Now, you factor in the problems that we have with education – and you can see that it's even worse because now you have people who don't who weren't taught anything about our system of government, about the way that it works, about their responsibility and their role in defending and maintaining a constitutional republic. This is why Ronald Reagan said that freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. We have an. It's our job to pass this on to our children. You know, I've said it on here before. America is an is a series of ideas, of beliefs. America radically transformed the way that governments and citizens, or subjects back in the day, interacted with one another. It was a one way street. Effectively, do as I say. We're going to run this country. We're in charge here. We'll do uh, – we'll let you do what we think is appropriate basically was the mindset of many governments and governing authorities throughout the ages. This idea that, gov- that, that individual rights, what does that even mean? Some of these folks would have laughed hysterically at these notions and concepts. By the way, including people like Joseph Stalin, Mao – Right, we see we see the left glorify some of these folks. Definitely Mao, but they've killed tens of millions of their own people. Just a hideous, disgusting, evil ideology that they have that they've embraced, and this is the same ideology that is embraced by the radical left today. It's the same ideology. They want to malign and attack capitalism and free markets and. Uh, private enterprise and so forth. They want to do that. And that's, look, you again, as, as William F. Buckley said, the problem with capitalism is capitalists, meaning the ideology itself is sound, but there's individual capitalists that use their freedoms to do bad things. 
And yes, they should be held accountable, but not the entire system. Uh, the entire system is not responsible for their behavior, right? Communism, on the other hand, the problem with communism or the problem with socialism is the ideology itself. Is socialism and is communism. Those two things are the problem, meaning that exactly the inverse is true. Because the system is broken, it really doesn't matter what the intention of the person is. The person who's in charge in socialism could be, in fact, the benevolent dictator that the left has been clamoring for. In fact, they they say this is the reason that the that communism ultimately failed was because there was not a benevolent dictator. Well, newsflash, for starters, there's no such thing this side of heaven. There was one person who lived that could have been, and he wouldn't have, by the way, uh, he he didn't. He was had the opportunity. In fact, the people expecting him to to come to the earth were were hoping he would set up an earthly kingdom. He refused to do so, and that was Jesus. Jesus is the one person who walked this planet that is capable of being a truly benevolent dictator. But look at how God God gives us freedoms. God is not. I know that the left or the rabid atheists think that God is a dictator. It's just there's a misunderstanding. God has God has interacted in lots of ways in the Bible and so forth, but God has given us all free will. In fact, the consequences, the consequences that people have faced oftentimes result from their abuse of free will. Just because there's free will doesn't mean that there's not morality. Morality can still be something uh, you, you can use your choices to to violate the moral law, and that's what, candidly, we've all done. And that's why socialism and communism fail is because there's a misunderstanding in that ideology of, of human nature, of who we are. Anyway, so you factor all of these things together. People don't understand, you know, there's, there's just a misunderstanding of what we just talked about in that particular point about communism, morality, socialism, freedom – Right, Our founders said our freedom, they acknowledged our freedoms come from God, not from the government. Our government simply recognizes that, that God is the giver of liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says there is liberty. So people don't have an understanding of what this nation is, why it is in fact different than nations throughout the history of the world. The nations that exist on the planet today. Now like Going back to Buckley's statement, like Buckley's statement where the problem with capitalism is individual capitalists, the problem with our government are the people that are in it. Our system is sound, my friends. Our system is sound. In fact, our system has endured and has held together, arguably by a threat at times, because the system is sound and strong, even though we've had some really bad people making decisions and doing things and cutting deals and enriching themselves and acting as though they are the epitome of the swamp in Washington, D.C. for a long time now. Now, I'm not saying that this is this can endure indefinitely. In fact, it's kind of terrifying to see some of the stuff uh, that we're witnessing today and the ideas that seem to be running rampant in Washington, D.C. In fact, time permitting, I'll tell you about baby bonds which is the latest idea the left has, to give all babies, everyone who's born $1,000 or some such thing, and then based upon their family's income, 
they'll get anywhere from $0 if they're from wealthy families or $2,000 a year that'll go into a savings account, which somehow Cory Booker and I think it's Ayanna Presley, the other person to inter- introduce this, this stuff, they think that you can find a savings account that can get 3% interest because apparently this can be a maximum of $46,000 in the first 18 years of of an individual's life if they get the maximum amount and they have an interest rate at 3%. Now, I will agree that what Biden is going to do to the economy is going to change is going to dramatically change things and we might be dealing with uh big changes in interest rates and who knows, inflation, I don't know. But 3% interest. I I looked before the show. The average savings account yields 0.5% interest. The average money market account yields uh, 0.11. Now, the article said savings account. So maybe they're talking about putting this in the market like a 529 plan. That would certainly change that. But, of course, then there's more risk of, of losing it versus it being in the savings account. Anyway, point is, point is we have all these ideas that are – these leftist radical ideas that are being uh, introduced, these socialistic ideas. And a lot of the individuals in this nation, going back to the point about the media, they don't know the full story because the media won't tell it. They haven't been properly educated about America, its founding principles, why it's different, why it, why this little nation of rejects basically i mean nobody wanted you know the the people were sent here that didn't fit into the uh, the kingdom of of of, you know with king george and so forth people that moved here were viewed as kind of second class citizens and the system thrived and we became the most powerful nation in the history of the world because of those ideas and if those ideas change if we deviate far enough from those ideas then of course we can see uh, we can see that the United States can change, and we can stop being a prosperous nation. And in some ways, we've already seen that. But but media is a, a problem and a contributing factor to that. Education is a problem and contributing factor to that. And then you factor in what they want to do and by silencing those of us who want to proclaim these truths, shut us down on social media, uh, demonize us, mischaracterize who we are. You can see it's kind of a perfect storm for complete ignorance for some people. So, anyway, I got other thoughts on this, but Oz and the clock are telling me that I'm way past due. So, I'm going to oblige here, take a quick time out, pick this up when we get back. Sit tight back here in just a minute. My vast, vast team of attorneys tells me that I've got to make sure that I tell you that listening to this program may in fact cause you to lean to the right. So take extra caution if you are operating a motor vehicle as you listen to this program. Heavy equipment. Be very, very careful. You will find yourself veering to the right. Science has documented that this is the case. 98, 98% of scientists agree with this by the way it's one percent more than agree that man is contributing to climate change so i'm just doing a public service i want to check that off my list this morning and make sure that i keep you abreast of 
the risks. Look, you got to be aware when you listen to this program that it affects you in more ways than you may realize. So speaking of climate change, so I want to continue our talk about media, education, the narrative, uh, and, and why we talk about these these things, why I think it's so important to understand um, the media and the risks that they provide to us. Listen to this. This is in Breitbart. I'm opening this article up here. Bjorn Lomberg, forgive me if I've mispronounced that. Suppose it could be Lomberg. Um, says this Par- a Paris Climate Accord would only lower temperatures. I'm gonna le- I'm gonna give you a, a guess here. You're gonna have to scream it loudly because I'm not gonna be able to hear you unless you do so. But he's predicting. If if everyone followed all of their prom all these every country including the United States and Barack Obama's original promises to the Paris Climate Accord group and to the world, if everyone did everything perfectly by the year twenty one hundred, the end of this particular century, how much would temperatures decrease? Now this is his projections, what he says. You ready for this? I'm going to read this to you. The Paris Agreement, if fully implemented, would lower temperatures around the planet by, drumroll, 0.05 degrees Fahrenheit, stated Bjorn Lomberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center and author of False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and fails to fix the planet on Friday's edition of Sirius XM's Breitbart News Daily with host Alex Marlowe. Here is what here's what Bjorn Lomberg said specifically. If all nations did all of their promises, which include what Obama originally promised, so this is everything. This is all the kit and caboodle. This is Every utopian promise, you know, when the seas knew that President Obama was elected president in 2008 and Obama told us from Chicago during that victory speech, this is the moment. I don't have the the godlike reverb on my microphone set up, but I could. I could probably set that up and do that for you to give you the full effect. But this is the moment that the sea levels will recede. They'll start to recede. They know. They see the great President Obama at the helm of the United States government leading this great nation, and the seas will begin to recede, folks. The ultimate form, I guess, of worship. I don't know what that was all about. But nonetheless, all these promises that were put into place by President Obama, all of them, if we did everything, basically if we did every utopian ideal that we could possibly come up with, Going back to the quote here, he says we would see temperature cuts by the end of the century of less less than, not even up to, less than 0.05 degrees Fahrenheit. Let that sink in, less than. So basically, if we implement all of these programs that cost bazillions of dollars, that hurt the economy, that, by the way, also hurt the poor. You want to talk about ways of helping people who are starting from disadvantaged circumstances or who are poor, 
uh, who just need an opportunity. They need to be given an opportunity. They need to be given an opportunity. They don't need to have restrictions in place that are going to make it harder to get a job, that are going to put downward pressure on wages. They don't need Bernie Sanders or whoever else to say this is what the minimum wage is. They need companies that can thrive so that companies can be profitable and multiple companies to be profitable so that there's competition for for wage earners. Because you may have noticed – You may have noticed that the vast, vast, vast majority of workers make much more than minimum wage, which if you listen to the radical left, that should never happen because companies are evil and they try to keep the working man down every day. And so they shouldn't be paying wages above the absolute minimum. I mean, this is this is just basic economics, folks. Companies want the best employees, and when they find them, they want to compete to get them they also realize that a job has a as a monetary value a job has a value it doesn't it shouldn't be confused with the value of the individual person because again our intrinsic value in the mind and in the eye of god is identical whether you're mark zuckerberg and worth bazillions of dollars or you're you have next to nothing or literally nothing of your own uh, and and live in extreme poverty your value to god your value as a human being is Identical. Your value to the marketplace is a, based upon a series of factors your education, your training, your abilities, uh, what the economy is in your particular part of the world, your skill sets, all these things, how, how, how successful companies are to be able to compete uh, for you to work there. So, again, you look at these things that they, that they tell us. Going back to the climate here, if we did everything that they told us that we were going to do, according to Bjorn Lomberg, we would only see temperatures drop by the end of the century, another 80 years or whatever. We would only see temperatures drop less than 0.05 degrees Fahrenheit. I can hear objections that, yeah, but Todd, if we we don't do these things, temperatures are going to raise and then insert some some crazy number that's probably been predicted by Al Gore, who by now, according to him, the planet should already be burnt to a crisp and no one living on it. Anyway, again, these things get more traction because the media carries the false narrative, and I I think that people are not properly educated on how to think. Instead, they're told what to think. They don't ask critical questions. They don't seek to truly understand. Too many people, you do. This is the most educated, informed uh, audience that there is. Talk radio's audience is very informed, very educated. But a lot of folks, uh, they, they don't know. They've never been around anyone that raises these, these questions. They haven't been taught to be critical thinkers. Instead, they've been taught to memorize and regurgitate information, even in education, the educational system, for the purposes of passing tests and so forth. So anyway... Quick time out is in order. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Here's an intersection of media and education. San Francisco teacher writes in op-ed 
Bernie Sanders mittens a lesson in white privilege. This is in the New York Post. I also saw this at the Daily Wire. You'll find this a lot of places. You cannot, well, you have to subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle to read the original article written by Ingrid Sire Ochi, a former UC Berkeley professor and now um, apparently high school teacher. That's what I'm gathering from this. This is what the New York Post writes. A San Francisco high school teacher wrote an op-ed claiming Bernie, Senator Bernie Sanders, manifest privilege for wearing his meme-evoking inauguration outfit. You remember Bernie sitting there in the chair, cross-legged, in his parka, looking all, I mean, total, well, socially distanced, as well as uh, distanced from reality, wearing his mittens, right? You've seen the memes of Bobby Knight throwing <laughs> throwing the chair with um, with Bernie in it, Bernie doing, I mean, all sorts of things. You've seen these memes probably. So that particular picture, she claims, she says that um, initially on Inauguration Day, she said her class talked about the deeper meanings of the historic day, including the vulnerability of democracy <laughs> and the power of ritual and gender, which I'm not sure what that has to do with Inauguration Day, I guess because Kamala was up there. But anyway, Sanders, according to this teacher – was not even on the radar until he became an instant internet sensation for the mittens and brown parka. I puzzled and fumed as an individual, she writes, as I strove to my best possible teacher. What did I see? What did I think my students should see? A wealthy, incredibly well-educated, and privileged white man showing up for perhaps the most important ritual of the decade in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. The senator, she says, manifests privilege, white privilege, <clears throat> male privilege, and class privilege in way that my, ways that my students could never see, uh, could see and feel, I should say. Anyway, got to take a time out. Out of time here. Come back and wrap up. But this is what we're dealing with, folks. Back here in just a minute. I left that part out. Bernie had his mask on. Didn't have two on, which now I'm so confused on Dr. Fauci. I saw something yesterday. Remember, Dr. Fauci said two masks, it just makes common sense, should work better than one. Then he came out and said, I, you know, there's no data to support that. Now I've seen him saying, a report saying, I think it was on Newsmax, I believe, where it said that Fauci, uh, the, the CDC may actually review data and come out with um, a two mask recommendation. I'm sorry, I'm just I'm thinking how many of you, how many of you are going to put on two masks? How many of you, when, when if and when the CDC says wear two masks, are going to say I'm over this ride is over for me. I'm done with this silly no- nonsense. But I got to go, folks. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.